Let's go and open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us to give us your word that we may see what you would have us to see. Help us to understand what you would want us to see from this message today. We ask for your Holy Spirit to lead and guide in your son's precious name. Amen. Philippians uh, chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be going through 15, but I do want to go back and I just want to restart at 13. Brethren, I, not, I count my, not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward unto those things which are before me. I press forward to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if any, in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, therefore, we have, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us have the same mind. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as to have, as you have us for an example. We're looking at this. We're, last week we talked about being apprehended by God. That God has grabbed us. He has snatched us. <laughs> and Paul's continuing that theme here. And in verse 15 he says, Let us therefore... So there's a reason he's continuing the point. That's why we had to go back to we were apprehended. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. Now you read this verse and you're going, Okay, who's Paul talking to? <laughs> Who is perfect? And we know that nobody is perfect. But... We have talked about this many times. When you are a child of God, the very first thing that God does to you is he declares you perfect. He justifies you. And this word perfect literally means is brought to its end, is finished, wanting nothing for completeness. When you are saved, God says you are perfect. You don't need anything else to be perfect. Now we know that we're going to spend our life being sanctified and being made perfect. But as far as God's concerned in the courts of heaven, we're perfect. And, you know, we've talked about this. How many of us, when we get attacked by Satan to live in the past, if we truly understood that we are justified and God sees us as perfect, would Satan lose a lot of power over you? When Satan comes along and says, you're a loser, you've made all these mistakes in your life, and you're nothing but a terrible person, and, you know, we all have that, some worse than others. You know, and you go, you know what? You're right, Satan. I just, I can't forgive myself. I'm just, God says you're perfect. <laughs> Get over it and live in God's statement of who you are. Now, we know that we're not perfect and we're not going to, well, look at me. I'm perfect. <laughs> no, that's not what God is saying. We are perfect in Christ. When Satan comes along and says you are a loser, he's lying to you because you're a child of God. You are forgiven. We need to understand we are forgiven. Why? Because Jesus paid for all the debt on the cross. All of it. Not some of it. Not most of it. All of our sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus. We have no chance of being looking at, God, I deserve to come to heaven. Uh, look how good I am. And God's, if you want to say that, God's going to say, you're not good. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Good master, what must I do to be saved? What was Jesus' answer? Why are you calling me good? There's only one good. Okay? Basically, he's saying, Are you really calling me God? Because if you think I'm a man, 
then I'm not good. Why? Because we're born with a sin nature. There is not a single person born with a sin nature that can be good. Because we come out as a sinner. Okay? And keep this in mind, it's an old statement, but we don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We are sinners. We will sin if we give our sin nature free reign. Which is God, why God says you are a new creation in Christ and he has crucified the flesh with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live according to the faith of God. I live God's way, forgiven because of who Christ is and what he did. And when you think about this, why does this work? We deserve punishment. And Jesus stands up in the court of heaven and said, Father, I've paid for that, paid for that penalty already. They're not guilty. I paid for it. You know, our country has this idea of you can't, can't have double jeopardy. You can't be charged with the same crime once you've been proven innocent. And this is what Jesus did. You, Father, you, and it comes from this very principle. Father, you made me pay the price. I paid the price for them. You cannot make them pay the price that I have already paid for. And Father, they, they're my child. They, they're our child. You, they've accepted me. As many of you as be perfect. Keep it in mind. It's not, and we keep bringing this up, it's not really that I am perfect and you're perfect. We know we're not, but by the same token, God says we are. And you know what? I'd rather take God's opinion of me than anybody else's opinion. I'm his child. He says I'm perfect. Because when he looks at me, he sees Jesus Christ. Because that's the righteousness that I'm clothed with. And as long as I'm clothed with his righteousness, he's going to see Jesus Christ. And he's going to say, this is my perfect child. When people stand without Jesus Christ at the white throne of judgment, they're going to be standing before God in their own righteousness. Isaiah says uh, that our righteous, all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And what he talks about is medical refuge, bloody, gauzed refuse. People are going to be standing in front of God saying, God, let me in with all this wonderful, bloody, putrid <laughs> rags. They're not going to have much to say when they look at their own righteousness upon them. Because they're going to look down, God, I really did good and realize what they're clothed in. They're going to know they have no excuse as they head to hell. But Paul says, as many of you as are perfect. Why? Because Christ apprehended us. <laughs> he snatched us and put us inside him. He says, be thus minded. Have this opinion. Have this opinion. Why can I have a humble opinion of myself when God says I'm perfect? Because it's not me who's perfect. I know who I am if I really want to look at my flesh. But you know, we look at ourselves and see how God has changed us. How many of you have noticed over the decades or years how much God has changed you? you know, think back, just think back for a moment, the things you might have done 10 years ago that you don't do anymore. You know, maybe something that happened yesterday and you thought, you know, yesterday, the day before, and you're going, you know, if that had happened to me five years ago, <laughs> I'd have gone ballistic. Yesterday, I only got a little upset. 
or, well, I passed the test, whatever it might be. But you know, we look at ourselves and we say, am I becoming more like Christ every, every day? And the way to look at it, and we've said this before, the way to look at that is to look back a period of time. Because just as when you watch your kids growing up, you know, you don't see that they're growing up every day until one day you look at them and realize that the pants you thought you just bought them last month, which was actually four months ago, no longer fit them. <laughs> okay. The dress you bought your little girl is now a mini dress. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we've got to go buy another, <laughs> we got to buy some more clothes. <laughs> uh, and we see it when we go to visit relatives. You know, the, the, the grandkid, the niece, the nephew, you haven't seen for a year you know, was about this tall, and now you're looking up at them. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing for our spiritual walk. If you're trying to judge, am I growing with Christ, and you're looking back just over the last week or two weeks, you're going to see failures there. And go, man, I'm just such a failure, I can't ever get anything right. But if you compare it back to a year, two, three, four, a decade, three decades, however long you've been walking with God, and say, you know what, God, I have really, you have done a really good work in my life, God. But you know, when you realize that it's God that's doing, how can you get prideful about what God has done in your life? You know, you know, hey, look at me. Look how wonderful I am. You know, I'm doing all these. No, it's God. You know, thank you that you've done all these things. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, God. And he's, and he's going, and then I love this where he says, and if in anything would be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it to you. Paul was saying, if you all don't believe that you're perfect, eventually God is going to show you that you're perfect in his eyes. <laughs> you know, or whatever it might be. You know, how am I growing? Sometimes I don't realize how much I've grown until God finally gets hold of me and reveals it to me. I've heard a number of people in this church that have said, you know, I wish I'd have known this when, <laughs> when I was younger. You know, and I wish I knew lots of things that I know when I was younger too. <laughs> We can't go back and change our life. All we can do is change it from where we're at. I was very fortunate. I had a, had a good father, good churches that I went to, and had, very, had this pounded into my head as a very young age. I get to share what I've learned over the years. But you know, I've also learned a lot of things in the last few years that I wish that I had learned <laughs> a long time ago. I've always thought it amazing that God gives us children when we're young and stupid, and then you know, we make all kinds of mistakes on them, and then we get to work on the grandkids. <laughs> and do the right things with the grandkids. And then you hear the kids going, well, you never did that with me. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I was dumb and stupid back then. <laughs> I'm trying to help you for making the same mistake with your kids. <laughs> but you know, this is part of growing up, whether it's spiritual or in, or in real life. And we've got to keep in mind that every day we should be growing spiritually. We're never going to get to the place where we are finished growing spiritually. We're going to continue growing. And I've shared with you, I believe that we're going to continue growing in heaven. So I think it's an eternal thing because one of the greatest things is to learn. And I think we're going to be continually learning about God for all of eternity. You know, so for me, that's the greatest news I can think of. You know, to me, standing around on a crowd playing a harp, which I could never do, would be terrible, boring. <laughs> but to sit around listening to teachers, you know, can you imagine being able to go and listen to Paul firsthand? <laughs> teach. Go listen to Ezekiel, Isaiah, Moses, all these great teachers that we look at and say, wow, these guys are really great. I wonder what they were really like. You might go, wow, I don't want to be anywhere near this person, but, but can you imagine what it would be like to actually listen to these people? I had a pastor one time, he, he pictured heaven in this way. 
that we would spend eternity swapping salvation stories with other people up there. I don't know about you, but I love to hear testimonies. I love to find out how did people come to Christ. Tell me, tell me about how God got hold of your, how God got hold of your life. I could picture eternity being just that. Millions and billions of people up there. Hey, why don't you tell me how you got saved? You know, I love telling people about how I got saved. It's part of the testimony that, that I've been taught to learn and give. You know, and I don't really have that really great a testimony. I got saved when I was 10 years old. Now, I was a pretty angry, bitter young, young, young lad. Nobody wanted to be around me at times because of how angry I was. But God got hold of me and changed my life at 10 years old. For as far back, I can remember going to churches. Nobody in my family went to church before, I, before my dad got saved two years after me. Okay. You know, as a, as a six-year-old, I can remember trying to find a near, nearby church. Now, in Scotland, it's not like it is here where there's a church on every single corner. You know, it was a little harder to find a church in Scotland. <laughs> but we had a neighbor that would took me the half mile to go to church. You know, he asked, he, I remember my dad telling a story. He asked, can the wee lad go with us to church today? <laughs> so I went to church with them. And I remember different things from that church. And I went, came back to the States and went to church. As far back as I can remember, God's been calling me to, and then Vanny made the decision at 10 years old in a junior church. And I'm somebody who likes junior church because of, <laughs> I got saved in a junior church. Uh, and it was literally a junior church. We had our singing, we had offering, we had a, had a message. It wasn't the, what some churches call junior church. It was a church for the kids. And, uh, but you know, I got saved at 10 years old. My dad got saved two years later. And to me, that was, when, that was like going into heaven because all of a sudden I could go to church more than Sunday morning. Because <laughs> I always wanted to go to church Sunday night, Wednesday night. I wanted to go to church and at 10 years old, you can't really go to church on your own. <laughs> uh, but you know, God got hold of me. And I've, I've told the story to the kids. I go, when I got saved at 10, I was going to church on a, on a, on a church bus. Well, that week, I was telling all my friends I got saved. And they go, well, how do you get saved? And I go, I don't know. Come to church with me. <laughs> and I go, I really didn't know what I do. I go, I said a prayer. <laughs> you know, the guy told me a prayer to say, all I knew was that God had changed me. He got hold of me. And I go, come to church. I'll tell you how to do it. <laughs> the, the poor bus driver pulled up, and there was a whole gang of kids getting ready to go on the bus. <laughs> okay. God got, hard of, got hard, hold of my heart. You know, I want to challenge this as we go along. You know, how often do you share the gospel with people? And you might say, well, I don't know enough about the gospel. That doesn't really matter. Tell them what you know. We've shared with you that most people's fear is they're going to be asked a question they don't know. And that's, and I've said this over and over again, and they just heard it yesterday on the, on the evangelism class. The guys on the tape said the same thing. You know, they ask you a question you don't know. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know the answer to that. I'll go find the answer. Can we talk again? The very thing that you're afraid of gives you a second time to give them the gospel message. And I like what they added on the tape because I've never really added because I've not, you know, uh, they went right back into their presentation. <laughs> That's a good question. Can we talk about that tomorrow? But in the meantime, well, let's go ahead and talk about this. <laughs> What's the gospel message? We've talked about this so many times. We are sinners. Okay. Really not that hard to convince somebody they're a sinner. You know, everybody you've come around has lied. 
probably stolen something in their lifetime. They've used God's name in vain, because most Christians have used God's name in vain. You know, you can go right down the Ten Commandments, and then they violated at least four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them. <laughs> you know, probably all ten of them if you really get them to be honest. And you know, uh, that's only counting ten of the 613 commandments <laughs> in the Bible. Okay. And you can take them through the 10 that are right there that everybody knows, and they violated them all. So it's not hard to tell people you're a sinner. Sinners deserve punishment. Jesus paid the price. All you have to do is ask, ask for forgiveness. You know, people go, I don't have time to give the gospel. It took me, what, three minutes, to, you know, less than three minutes, less than a minute to tell the gospel. It's not that hard to tell people the gospel. It really is not hard. We just need to be bold enough to do it. We have to have enough love for the lost to do it. Do you realize that 150,000 people a day die? 150,000 people a day die. The majority of them do not know Christ and are going to hell for eternity. That should shock us as a Christian. How many people do you know, we were talking about this just a couple weeks ago, how many people in this town have died in the last year? I guarantee you, every one of them didn't think they were going to die the day they died. They had plans to go to the doctor the next week and do this and have this party and do this and all these, all these plans. And if you looked at their calendars and their date books, there were plans on those calendars and date books for the, for the period of time. We need to get serious about this as Christians. The world is going to hell, literally, for eternity to be punished. We need to get out there and share the gospel with them. You know, I've heard people say, well, I don't want to talk to my friend. They might get mad at me and not talk to me anymore. All right, so you want your friend to go to hell? You know, just because you're afraid they might get mad and no longer be your friend, you want to get them to go to hell? At the white throne judgment, how are you going to like that look when they look at you? Why didn't you tell me? You know, you knew this was my destiny and you didn't tell me? <laughs> what kind of friend were you? <laughs> Family members. How many of us have family members that aren't saved? Have you shared the gospel with your family members? What's the worst they're going to do is get mad at you today? If you share the gospel and tell them that they need Jesus. Yeah. And yet we don't. We don't share the gospel. Because we're so afraid that somebody might get mad at us. That's not a great place to be. How many of us have people that maybe in our family might even say they're Christians, but they don't live like Christians? The Sunday school day lesson today was about we are created unto good works. Does good work save us? No, but we are created to do good things and, and do the right things. When we're a Christian, we should live more godly. We should be becoming more like God in our walk. Will we ever be perfect? No. But somebody looking at you should say, now that's how a Christian is supposed to act when, when somebody cuts them off. 
on the road and not get mad, not pull out their gun and blow out their tires of the car that pulled it, cut them off. You know, uh, you know, that person said, you know, okay, God, they're in a hurry. You know, bless them, let them get someplace safely. You know, when somebody ang- does something that angers you, are you responding as a Christian or are you responding in the flesh? Are you an example? And this is what Paul's saying. We're made perfect for a reason. And it says, Nevertheless, therefore, whether where to we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. What have you obtained unto in your knowledge? You know, when we learn from the scriptures, we're to apply what we learn. That is what wisdom is, applied knowledge. Okay, you may know what to do and what is right and what is wrong, but if you don't do what you know you're supposed to do, you're not living the right way. Okay, you may know that God says lying lips are an abomination, but how often do you tell lies because you don't want to look bad or you want, want to stay out of trouble? You know, we think this is a little kid's problem. You know, kids do it all the time, and we, we train our kids not to, not to lie. We even discipline them when they lie. How many of you, when you were younger, ever had the phone and said, you know, if that's so-and-so, tell them I'm not here? <laughs> tell your kids don't, to lie, don't lie. They've been punished for lying, and then you tell them lie. <laughs> now, we laugh about that, but, you know, we do that frequently. We do that kind of stuff frequently, and we don't even think about it as being a lie when we're doing it. How many people steal money from their employers by not working when they're on the clock? You know, seen it many times. I was a manager. I saw it many times. Let me clock in and I will take 30 minutes to get my uniform on and you're going to pay me to put my uniform on. <laughs> yeah, instead of being ready to work. Uh, and I shared with you, uh, when I started working in the computer industry, I would go on break and there would be people on break when I started on break. I would go back on my break, and these same people were still on break when I went back from my break. I would go to lunch, and people would be gone for lunch. I'd get back from lunch, and people would still be gone for lunch. And I don't even know when they came back (laughs) on any of these things. You know, stealing. Do they consider it stealing? No, they just, you know, oblivious to it. When we learn something from God, we need to start applying it to our life and living by what we learn. One of the dangers about reading the Bible and studying the Bible is God starts making us responsible for what we learn. Now, when I say that, some people, well, that's good. I just won't come to Bible studies anymore. <laughs> you know, I have an opinion that God says that if you were supposed to be at that Bible study, <laughs> he's going to hold you accountable for what you should have heard <laughs> had you been where you were supposed to have been. <laughs> Because he knows where you were supposed to have been. And that doesn't mean you have to be at every Bible study and everything, but I'm just saying, you know, to avoid them just so you're not held accountable is the wrong <laughs> reason. Well, I'm just not going to go to church anymore. I, I won't be accountable because I won't hear. Uh, God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see that day approaching. I think he's going to hold us accountable for what we should have heard, what we should have known, what we should have read, because he knows what it is that we should have. <laughs> But he says, we need to live according to the rules that we've learned. Okay? Uh, These rules, you know, I have been apprehended by Christ. I live by the rules that he gives me. 
I am not my own. I serve another master. Our day and age is full of people that said, what is best is for me, me, me. Everything is me. You know, if you don't believe it, go drive down a highway where there's a merge coming up. Yeah. It used to be that people were nice enough, and if you just merged one car, one car, one car, you could keep your speed going and not, not even notice it. Now people need that extra 10 feet of room that they're going to get by getting ahead of you. Now, heaven help me if I have to be back 10 feet. <laughs> because I'm important. I'm important. It's all about me. And this generation is very much what's important for me. Now, we, why don't you just sit down and behave? Well, I don't want to. <laughs> I, I don't want to, so I'm not going to. Be able to sit down and hold a civil conversation with two people who disagree with each other. My opinion is what's most important. You shut up and don't say another word, and I'm not going to listen to what you say because I am important and I know the answers. Civil discussions have gone out the window because of the I first mentality. You can't even sit down and listen to the other side whether you agree with them or not anymore. It's very hard. Why? Because we're getting away from God's standards. In the bulletin day, we put on there this little list of things that the founding fathers of our country said that democracy was built upon the morality of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And without it, democracy doesn't work. And you know that's exactly what history shows us. Every country that has tried to put democracy in place without the morality of God fails. Why? Because people want what they want. Now, our country is finding this out. We can't get anything good for the country passed through because what's good for the country isn't necessarily good for every single citizen of the country. And because it's not good for a certain population of the country, they won't vote for it because they don't want to lose their votes to stay in, in place. They've walked away from God's standards to doing what's right for the world. Our country is doomed if it doesn't have a revival because its foundation is crumbling. Its foundation is coming apart at the seams. The salvation of this country comes in the churches from God's people getting to act like God and be like God and evangelize in this world so that we can have people that have godly morals and godly thoughts getting into power to run a country that's built on God's standards. And until we get that, we have no hope for this country anymore. Without a revival bringing God very strongly into this country, we have no hope for this country. And I say this loving America. I love America greatly. But unless there's a revival, and we've had two revivals in this country already, three if you want to count the Jesus movement, which was very, didn't quite have the impact of the other two, but had great impact. We need a great revival again. The great revival changed this country, changed the way people thought. Shut down brothels, shut down bars. <laughs> you know, shut down all the, the alcohol sales in certain places because of how many people got saved. <laughs> Not because they made legislation against it, not because they made rules against it, but because people got saved and they didn't participate. Or the owner got saved and closed them down, whichever it would be. But we need a great awakening if there's any hope for this country. But it starts with the church. It starts with us understanding who we are and making the changes to be like him and sharing that gospel message. 
Then he says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as we, you have us for ensamples. Paul's really, this is kind of a bold statement. He's saying, guys, keep following me as I follow Christ. <laughs> you know, I am your example on how to live with your walk of Christ. Jesus, when he walked this earth for four years, had 12 men that walked with him everywhere he went. Why? So that they would see, this is what you do when this happens. This is how you react to this. This is how you react to this. Every one of us, hopefully, have had somebody in our life that says, this is the person you follow. I saw how they acted in that situation, and it was godly. They not only told me what to do, they showed me what to do. They showed me how to love people when, when they were saying nasty things about them, and they didn't respond. They didn't just say, you know, you're not supposed to respond this way. They actually showed that action. I had a father that did that very thing. He was my discipler. He showed me how to live a godly life. I've, I've shared with you the time when I first moved to Kingman and I got caught in, in uh, Wickenburg uh, going through the speed trap <laughs> in the church van. <laughs> and I never saw the sign changed. <laughs> and I got pulled over. Here I am in a church van, me, one adult, and 13 teenagers. <laughs> All looking and saying, how is this guy going to react to being pulled over. And you know, the one thing I kept hearing people, hearing from the back there, well, my dad doesn't react this way when, when he gets pulled over. He's all cussing under his breath and angry and upset. I'm going, I didn't see the sign change, but if it's did, I'm guilty. What did I show them? I showed them how a Christian responds to authority. That gave me a lot of places to be when I sat down with the boys that night and we started talking because they started like and say, this guy lives differently than what I'm used to. We need to live God's way so that when people see us live that way, they may see that we're not perfect, but they go, this person's different. This is the way they respond to authority. This is the way they, they act toward this. This is the way they act toward this. And it gives them a thirst for the right thing because they go, there's something different. You don't, you don't let your flesh run. They may not use the word flesh, but you don't let your flesh run and people notice. They notice that you don't get angry about certain things. They notice that you are loving. They notice that you don't attack people who attack you. <laughs> Why? Because God is our defense. I keep preaching that, and you all know I preach that. <laughs> and I live it as much as possible. You know, I let God be my defender. Why? Because I always mess it up if I try to defend myself. <laughs> I always say the wrong thing if I try to defend myself. I learned that a long time ago. But I have watched God be a great defense. If somebody's going to attack me, okay, God, <laughs> you deal with them. And you know what I've learned over the years? God can really deal with people that are attacking. Sometimes pretty harshly if I'll stay out of the way. Sometimes I wish I got in the way so that God didn't, didn't do the things that he did to these people. You know, because I go, God, did you have to be that hard? <laughs> well, obviously he had to, otherwise he wouldn't have been that hard. But you know, it makes me sad when somebody else is hurt, even if they deserve it. Is that your heart? Is that your Christian heart for somebody? That somebody deserves extreme punishment, but you are really heartbroken when they get it? I hope so. That's the love of God coming from, through you. 
God does not want to inflict pain, but he knows that sometimes it's necessary. We are to be examples. We should be able to say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ because I am an example of how to walk with God. If you're not there, get somebody to disciple you. Follow somebody. (laughs) Keep in mind on who you're to follow. But I can tell you one thing, and I've said this before. No matter where you are with Christ, you're better than somebody else who needs your help. Okay? If you're the newest Christian out there, there's somebody who's a newer Christian who can, can help, you can help with whatever little knowledge you have. If you've been walking for Christ with Christ for a long time, get out there and disciple somebody. Show them the way they're supposed to live. You know, one of the things that they talk about in the scriptures, Paul says, older men teach younger men. Older women teach younger women. We have so many women out there today who don't know how to be a mother and a wife. And they're from a generation that has no clue what it means to be a mother and a wife. Most of our people in the 60s, 70s, and 80s have grown up in a generation when they knew what it meant to be a mother and wife. They should be taking these young women under their their arm and saying, you know, let me help you know what it means to be a mother. Build up the importance of mother. The saddest thing I hear is when somebody says, well, I'm just a mom. I'm going, just a mom? <laughs> you're, you're, you're just a mom? That's all you, that's all you are. You're, you're responsible for raising a generation of kids to follow Christ for the rest of their life, and you're, you're, just, you're just a mom. In our early founding fathers, these mothers took it serious to raise their children to be godly children. And those children made some impact in the world. Susanna Adams raised seven, I think it was 17 kids. Just a mom. Every one of her kids went on to be doing great things. Every one of them. Because they had just a mom (laughs) at home who took it seriously. An example of how to be a godly person. An example. Who are you discipling? Who are you having say, follow me? Who are you looking at to follow, to grow? We all need somebody that we look at and say, that's who I want to, I want to know how that person reacts in this situation. I want to be, you know, I like the way they react. I want to spend time with them. I I like the way this person prays. I want to spend time learning how to pray. I want to spend time with them. If you have something you want to learn, go talk to somebody. Say, Say, you know, I'm really impressed by your prayers. Could we get together once a week or once a month or something and could we just pray together? I just want you to teach me to pray. And I'm going to do it by watching you. Knowing what you pray, know how you pray. I like the way you study the scriptures. Can we get together once a week, once a month, and learn how to, how to study? Show, show me how to do it. I like the way you witness. Can, you, can we get together and I'll just, I'll just hang out with you for a while and watch how you start the conversations? Who are you looking to to be discipled? Who are you discipling? Very important for us to be these examples. Paul says, you're an example. We should be an example. Jesus walked this world for four years. He could have just picked, picked 12 guys, said, okay, you guys are disciples, I'm going home. <laughs> he could have. Why did he spend four years with these guys? So that they would see how to walk godly, how to do this. Were they going to get perfect at it? No, but they saw 
how to be that way. How did I learn to knock on doors? I went out with people who knocked on doors. <laughs> and I watched them. And eventually I said, you think maybe I could try the next door? Scared to death, quaking in the boots. <laughs> how did I learn to go out and do street evangelism? Well, the church I went to did street evangelism. Every Friday and Saturday night, we loaded one, two, three buses, depending on how many people showed up. We're talking big buses. We would drive down to the center of some town, <laughs> take a whole bunch of tracks, <laughs> be paired off, and go talk to people. <laughs> and usually they would pair the new people off with people who'd been doing it for a while. Here, you just watch this person. You watch what they do, and you'll learn how to do it. Is there something you want to learn to do in the spiritual world? Go find out somebody who's doing it and ask them. Ask them to help you. How would you learn something? If you wanted to learn something practical, my, my tire needs to be replaced, and I have no idea how to replace my tire. Now, I know that sounds funny to most people. But if you don't know how to change a tire, that's a big deal. I remember when my daughter had her first flat tire on her car. <laughs> she had just gotten, actually, was, that was her car. Yeah, she had just bought her car when she had the first flat tire. She called dad to come and help her. And I'm going, okay, you get to change the tire. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to change the tire. Now, I don't know if she has ever changed a tire since that tire. Usually she gets her brother or me or a friend to help her. But you know what? She knows how to change a tire. <laughs> Why? Because we taught her how. If there's something in the spiritual world you want to know, ask somebody. Find out how to do it. Have them share with you. Have them teach you. Be an example. Is there something you're good at? Find somebody who needs help with it. Because it's so important to grow. We were talking about it in the car today. Annie's, Annie was reading one of the books from the biographies. And this lady had been converting so many children. And these children died for Jesus Christ as they were beheaded for claiming to be Christians, knowing what was going to happen in front of this poor woman that these were her precious children. But why did they have the strength to do that? Because she had taught them and shown them the strength of trusting God. Do you have that much trust in God? Do you have that much trust in God that you can stand up and say, I'm willing to suffer for him? God, I'm willing to suffer for you. I'm willing to look like a fool for you by, by doing something that may look foolish to the world. The preaching of the gospel is foolishness to them that perish. Whether it's standing here preaching or going out on the street and passing out a track and sharing, the, sharing the, the gospel message. To those who perish, that's foolishness. Why are you wasting your time telling me about this God that I don't care about? But it's so important, so important that we stand up and we become more like him. That we stand up and we say, I want people to be able to look at me and see a follower of Christ. Am I perfect? No. But I want people to look at me and say, you know, this person loves people. This person cares for people and wants to reach out. Is that the message people get to us? Or they look at us and say, well, well that person is just a self-righteous hypocrite. <laughs> now, some people are going to say that anyway, whether you are or not. But, you know, we need to live a life that says there's a standard to live by. I want to be different from the world because this is not my home. I'm living under a whole different set of rules and laws, and that's God's laws. This world runs on Satan's laws. As Christians, we will stand out like sore thumbs, black mountain, you know, we will stick out. <laughs> 
and people are going to go, well, I don't know about that. That, that person is very different. And we need to realize that if you claim to be a Christian, people are watching you. Be aware of this. People are watching you. If you're a Christian, people are watching you to say, is this person different from the rest of the people who, that, that are out there? They say they're a Christian, and you know, the world has a v- strange view of Christians, but they know that we're supposed to be different. <laughs> now, they think we're supposed to be perfect, <laughs> which we're not, but you know, by the same token, are we living a life that says this is something you want to follow, or are we just like them? You know, are we just like them, or are we very different from them? Very important. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for how much you love us. Lord, we ask right now, Lord, if there's anybody that doesn't know you, that they will come to you right now, that they will recognize that they're a sinner, that they will ad- admit that they're a sinner, confess their sins, repent, and turn to you. And Lord, for those that are Christians in this room and listening to this message online, Lord, a challenge to become an example that people can follow. And Lord, if they don't feel that they can be an example, help them to find somebody to help them learn how to walk more like you. And give them the boldness to seek that example in that person. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.